are starting a brand new series today that we've titled Act Like a Christian. Everybody say, Act Like a Christian. <clears throat> and, uh, and so if, if you are new to us, you may not have been in the series that we just finished up a couple weeks ago. We had a series that we titled The Agent. Everybody, who was a part of that time of ministry? Yeah, The Agent. And, and that whole series was about the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and then the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit who lives and abides in us as believers. And what I trained you in is the three um, key pieces that we saw there in the Gospels that the Holy Spirit's job was. Jesus said that he would convict us. I am grateful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I would act like a fool all the time. And he nudges me. He was nudging me about something yesterday. He was nudging me about something, you know, this morning in worship. Like, you're right, the Holy Spirit, I can't let that get, get away on me like that. And I was repenting, nudging us. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. The Bible also says that the Holy Spirit's job is literally to lead us and to guide us. And I asked you during that series... Who guides you? How do you make your decisions, your life decisions? Uh, I would not be here. I would not be your pastor. It were not for the following, my wife and I following the Holy Spirit's leading. Because it, it was not a good business move for me at the time. It was not a, you know, one plus one equals two move. It was lay everything down that I considered successful and start from scratch in my 40s. And so I am grateful for the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then the other thing that we taught you that is a major role in the Holy Spirit's work in our life, and that was he would empower us, give us power over sin, over brokenness, over, over the wickedness of this old world. And I'm telling you right now, if you are a Christian trying to live without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, you're going to be very disappointed, especially in this next, next election cycle. You thought you were stressed out last one. You thought that you were divisive last one. You thought that you had hardship in the last you know, four or five years. Wait till this next situation. We better have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through our veins to heal the sick, raise the dead, face our own sinfulness, and to overcome, you need the power. And so with that being said, I thought it was real important that as we left that series, that we move into a series where we literally look at the book of Acts. So the early church, what were they like? How did they, the first Christians, what were they like? What did they do? You know, most times you can find the most purest form of something in its initial design, what, the in, what, what was intended. And so as we dive into the book of Acts for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to encounter this movement of the Holy Spirit in the early believers' lives and what they acted like, what they were committed to, what they gave themselves to. And see, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus actually tells his disciples, go and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so we find in Acts chapter 2 that they're all in a room and they're worshiping God and they're just waiting on whatever Jesus had said would come the outpouring of the Holy Spirit promised in Joel chapter 2 when all of a sudden Acts chapter 2 tells us these 120 people all of a sudden had this unbelievable experience with the Holy Spirit he literally comes down in their midst and they explain it like this as tongues of fire begin to come down and, and fall on everyone's head and it was like a mighty rushing wind for those of you that have ever been in a tornado I would imagine that in this room all of a sudden the experience looked something like a and just all of a sudden they're speaking languages as they're praising God that they don't even know and things supernaturally are happening and they all kind of go outside of this room 120 followers of Jesus and at the same time there's a festival happening and it's the it's the festival called Pentecost and so there are 
tens of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem that are normally not there. They've all come in from around the world for this yearly festival. And they hear the commotion and they begin to gather out around this house, out on the street. And Peter stands up and he starts preaching to them. Thousands gather. And they think that all these people, all these guys who've just experienced this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they think that they're all drunk. And Peter says, they're not drunk. What are you talking about? And the reason why is because there was such... You know what drunk people are like. They're the, ah, ah. They were so enamored through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't say hammered. I said enamored. That, they, that, that, that everything is shifted about who they are, their personality. They're lighthearted. They're enthroned uh, and, and just in the love of God. I mean, just enthroned in them. I mean, just all around them. And so people are like, what is going on here? And the best way they know how to explain it, are they been drinking? Like, nobody's this happy. And Peter says, whoa, 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 it's early in the morning. You know people don't get drunk early in the morning. Well, some of you. Anyway, but you know, they, you know they don't do that. He said, this is what was promised. God promised this thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago that he would pour out his spirit and that the Holy Spirit wouldn't just come down on us and we do great things like Samson and then lift off of that he would live and abide in us. This is what was promised. And so Peter starts preaching to him and he says, And the Jesus who you crucified, days ago you were shouting, crucifying. This is his spirit being poured out on us. And you need to repent of your sins. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, 3,000 people go, You're right. What must we do to be saved? Fall down on their knees and repent. And the church goes from 120 followers of Christ committed to 3,000 in a moment. I don't know what we would do if 100,000 people showed up here and said, we want to serve God, help us heal the city. I'd be like, uh, you're a small group leader, you're a small group. Uh, how would we even manage that? And the Bible says in chapter 2 at the end that something that they committed themselves to, and that's what we want to study, was their four devotions. So if you'll pick up with me, our key passage for today's teaching is out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. You ready to get in the Word? Say yes. yes. Come on, do you love Jesus? Say yes. yes. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate uh, together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I want to point out these nine things that they had. We see right here in these verses in 43, all the way down to 46 and 47. And it starts off with the early church had many signs and wonders. Everybody say signs and wonders. Say it again. Say signs and wonders. Do you know what a sign and wonder is? That's miracles. It's one of, it, it, the Bible called it in this moment signs and wonders. In other words, a wonder, you're like, oh my, how did that happen? What is that? I've never, I, I, I don't, it's wonderful. What is that? What is, what, how did that just, it's a sign, it's point, Jesus is communicating something supernatural is happening and pointing towards something in this direction. What is it? It's a sign and a wonder. And they were having signs and wonders. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a gathering of Christians who do not experience signs and wonders. Something's broken, something's not right. I appreciate those who are deep theological minds and who have dismissed signs and wonders and said that it's not, you know, it's not for today, but they are wrong. They are wrong. It is not the heart of the Father. It is who he is to bring forth signs and wonders through his people. It is who he is. 
He didn't stop being the miraculous God just because the New Testament writings came to a close. We are here today, many of us, because of a miracle. God has done something in our lives. I was talking to Orlando even this morning, and some of you may know or not know uh, Brother Orlando. He's magnificent. He's got his own tailor shop. Uh, I think it's called the tailor shop, right, Orlando? Yeah. And, uh, and so he is a tailor. He's been a tailor for years. It's how he makes his livelihood. He is an expert. He's got many uh, very important people come, and he, uh, you know, adjusts their clothes. He's always like, Pastor, you, you look a little, uh, i got to help you out. And, um, and at the beginning of the year, I believe it was, he started having some difficulties in his vision, struggling to see. And, uh, and he got around all of us, and he said, listen, I need you all praying. And it, I'm going to just tell you something right there. That man married up because his wife's a much better Christian than he is. <laughs> and she started praying, and the family started praying. His family, who were believers, started praying. We as his spiritual family started praying. And I want you to know, after a couple weeks, he showed up. He said, Pastor, you're not going to believe it. I've had a miracle. I can see now. Can you imagine the God... Who do, and, and so we don't do this big thing where we showboat, hallelujah, who healed your pastor, oh, glory, hallelujah, picking back up. We don't do all that showboating. What we want to see is the miraculous signs and wonders happen not on the stage, but in your everyday life. This is the broken spot that I have seen over the last 20 years of how people have engaged in signs and wonders. Is they want to showboat it. Listen, showboat him. He's the greatest. He's the one. It's not about what he did. It's about who he is. And who he is in my life. Because the same persons, I've watched the same persons that got up on that TV screen and talking about how they got healed and all this kind of stuff. And all for showboat purposes. And those same ones have turned their back on Jesus the moment they've gone through something difficult. So signs and wonders is what they had from the very beginning. The next thing it says that they had is that they were all together. Everybody say together. together. That's a miracle. They were together. They were unified. They, had, they, were, they, they were together. If there's anything that I've watched over the last five to ten years that the enemy has done to the church is to split us apart we're more tribal than we've ever been we're more we're, we're more committed to um, a politician sect than we are to each other and Jesus prayed this in John chapter 17 verse 22 he said I have given them the glory that you gave me he's talking to God the Father before he goes to the cross and he says father listen I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one I and them and you and me may they be brought to complete unity to let the whole world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me one of the critical factors of true Christians is that we're unified that we're together we may not vote the same we may not see everything the same but we should have each other's back we should be together and in early church had this. They had this together thing. They had this miraculous unity thing. And the reason why they had miraculous unity, because they were full of the Holy Spirit. Because you can't have unity with people that you disagree about if you're not full of the Holy Spirit. You can't keep a marriage together if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. I'm going to just tell you right now. Because listen, listen, there are times when Miss Jamie looks at me and like, I will cut you. And the only reason she doesn't is because of the power of the Holy Ghost working in that sweet love right there to back on off of that and say, oh, Jesus, I just love this boy. My God, my God, help him. And the reason why she's like that is because she's got power that she didn't have prior to being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you, these are supernatural experiences that the early church walked in because they had power. Here's the third thing that it said that they had, which is unbelievable, and they said they had everything in common. Everything in common. In other words, they, 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 they shared everything. Do you know at the church, 
from the very beginning, has been the ones who've started uh, the, uh, the medical uh, uh, you know, hospitals, uh, orphanages. You go back and do your history and you research who started, started orphanages and helping people, who, who started hospitals, education, who did all that. It was the church. It was Christians. Why? Because they wanted to help. Because the spirit of the living God was inside of them, pushing them past how to get rich and saying, how do I help others even if it costs me everything? And that's from the very beginning. They had everything in common. You know what? If the church was the church in this hour, we would need a welfare system. We would need it. We'd take care of one another. But you know what the problem is in our hour is that we don't trust each other. And so, man, I want to help you, but really, I got to get mines. And I can't, I, until I'm rich, I can't really help anybody. That's really a mentality that runs through most of us. And it's because we saw people misappropriate help. We saw people that we give to never give to anyone else. There's all kinds of people who just take, take, take and never give, give, give. And so as a result, we, we're scared to have everything in common, which brings me to the fourth thing that it says that they had. And they said they gave to everyone or anyone that was in need. The fourth thing that it says that they did, they gave to anyone that was in need. Anyone that was in need. I don't know about you, but there are times where I'm sitting there at that red light and that guy's standing there, you know, with the little sign. Saw little guys the other day, you know, need a heart transplant for my child. And I just from having been wicked back in the day, my first thing is like, man, they, they ain't telling the truth. Come on now. You know you lying. You're going to go. And, and listen, for any of us who've had addicted family members to drugs, alcohol, anything like that, I will punch you in the face if you gave my uncle some, more, some alcohol. I punch, if you gave him money, because the first thing he was going to do is go, go buy alcohol. I, I would come after you because cause that cousin of mine, the moment you started giving them that, you know what they were going to do. We, our family has suffered because you were dumb enough to give them money when they really they shouldn't have had any money because they're just going to go buy more drugs. And so that, that position for me automatically, because I've lived a life like the rest of us with, with difficulty and hardship and, and, and family members that are messed up, we were messed up. And so, I, so, so it's like, you know, man, Lord, give to anyone as they have need. Well, what was happening was they were being led by the Holy Spirit to as they need. So giving me what I need is not always what I want. Sometimes what you need is rebuke. I was, I was actually correcting one of our leaders not so long ago because they were giving money to a person in their small group who had, who had some needs. And I asked them, I said, why'd you do that? And they said, well, this, this, and this, but I'm frustrated because they mishandled it, this, this, and this. I said, well, you actually gave them the wrong thing. You gave them money. What you should have gave them was correction. Because they now have a habit. They have a habit that has not been, so you're not our true brother in Christ because true brother in Christ would say, I would like to give you this, but you have a habit. And that is this, this, and this. And as a result of that, all this is is giving into a black hole. What you need to do is my help and actually getting free from this, and I want to work with you on that. That's what they were doing. They were giving to each other as they had need. They weren't just throwing money at the problem. They weren't just, you know, throwing, throwing you know, I don't want to think about it. They actually were involved in each other's lives, actually helping each other. This is what the early church had. Wouldn't that be a beautiful church? I mean, that's what we here at Hill City, this is what we're trying to be. I want to be what the early church was like. I want to have what they had. Here's the other thing that they had. It says this, in number, the fifth thing is that every day they met in the temple. So starting today, we're going to meet every, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You'd be like, you're going to be by yourself, Pastor. Somebody got to work. Where do you think that tie is coming from? No. But can you imagine it every day? <laughs> they went to church every day. Some of us are old enough to remember when we went to Wednesday night services. And then, and then we had Saturday night, Saturday morning prayer meetings. And we had Sunday morning, uh, Sunday school. Then we had Sunday morning service. Then we came back for Sunday evening service. Some of us remember that. You know what? That might have wore us out.
But I guarantee you, everyone who lived like that, we know the word better than all this next generation who won't ever go to church, don't know the Bible. I mean, it was pounded into us. I was like, oh my God, not another service, mama, please. Please. But I'll tell you something. I don't know about y'all. Sometimes King James starts just coming out of me. I mean, it just comes out of me. I'm like, where did that come from? That was that, that, was that doggone Sunday night service she drugged me to and that Wednesday night. It was getting down in there. They met every day. He says, listen, every day they met in the temple. Let me, let me help you explain what they were actually doing. Jesus was a priority. Yep. He wasn't a side note. He, he was a priority for the early church. He wasn't like, I'm going to go get my once a month fix at the church. I feel better. It's kind of like working out a little bit. I might work out. I might not work out. Jesus was the priority. And so gathering together, sharpening each other, learning the word of God together, that was a priority for them. That's why they met every day. Here's the next thing that it says that they did, and that is they broke bread in their homes. They broke bread in their homes. They were committed to relationship with each other. They were committed to eating a meal together. We all know that, that when you eat a meal with somebody, you bond with them. We all know that. I'll get into that here in just a second, a little bit more. And then it says the seventh thing that we see that they had, and that was they were always praising God. It, it, it noted praising God, praising God. And uh, there's a lot of styles of worship these days. But one of the things that Pastor Lance and I even were talking about this Friday, we're committed to here at Hill City is that we are going to celebrate his goodness. We're going to praise him. Because when you get your eyes off your problem and start celebrating for all the, all the miracles that you have experienced, all of a sudden you stop being a sucker and you start being, becoming a giver. You start becoming grateful and life has so much more meaning. And when we're ungrateful, when we're spoiled and we're like, it's not enough, I want more, I don't understand why, then what happens is literally we push God away and when we begin to praise him and we begin to celebrate him, he draws near and he goes, ooh, that's what I like to hear. Come on, come on. I give, I, you know how that is. That kid, it's never enough. You stop giving to them. But that one kid who says, Dad, thank you. I can't believe you're letting me have this old beat-up bicycle that you had from the 80s. Thank you, Dad. You're like, kid, I will give you the world. They were praising God. I mean, can I just put this in perspective? They were also experiencing persecution. So they're praising God in the midst of persecution. He's good. He's good. They're taking my car away. Bless the Lord. I mean, they were praising God. There was something super. That's the Holy Spirit at work in them. Because you know how quickly we get to grumbling about life. Man, the other day, I, you, you know, my wife is, uh, we got a farm. <laughs> and, uh, and it's becoming a farm. It started with just a house with a little bit of land. And now I've got animals on top of animals coming in. And she keeps praying. She prayed in a duck the other day. A duck landed in my pool. I have a duck showing up at my house every other day, quacks until she comes out and gives it popcorn, and then flies off. I'm in the middle of my Saturday. I'm supposed to be praying for you guys, and I'm chopping trees, and things have fallen, and I'm stacking wood, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and he said, whoa, 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 whoa. I gave you a little bit of property. I said, Lord, I repent. I started driving that tractor, Jesus. You said, ooh, thank you for that tree that's about to fall down. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to have to get to do that some more. That is awesome. I'm going to get some muscle somehow. I just started praising because I wanted to be like the early church. They were filled with the Spirit, and this is the result of some of the things. And then the next thing it says they did, it says they enjoyed the favor of all the people. I have a question. 
does the community love our church? This community, is, is the city government grateful that Hill City exists? So the school system's grateful for us. It says they had favor with all the people. Even though there was persecution coming, the people loved the Christians. They loved us. I wouldn't say they love us so much these days. I think they think we're selfish. I think, I think the very thing that we are supposed to be has somehow gotten lost over the last couple thousands of years. But they, the, the, they enjoyed the favor. Uh, in, in my time frame, in some of my development years in the 90s, there was a revival that kind of broke out in an area called Brownsville, uh, Pensacola, suburb of Pensacola, Florida. And uh, people flew in from around the world, got touched, got their face rocked off. It was phenomenal. And uh, we went all the time. It, I mean, it was unbelievable. It just rocked me. The encounter with the Spirit of the Living God was unreal. Well, years later, I ended up speaking uh, at a conference at that church, and there has a new pastor, and the revival was, if you will, over. And, and so I, I'll never forget sitting in the green room with that pastor. I said, well, what's it been like to pastor this church post-revival? He goes, well, when I became the pastor, he said, I, I thought, let me go see what the revival did for the community. So I started knocking on doors all around the church. They were like us on the edge of a community, uh, a neighborhood. He said, I just started knocking on the doors. I said, well, how did, you know, I'm a new pastor here, and they had, you know, however many years, seven, eight years of revival. How did that affect you? And, and he said, none of them knew it existed. They didn't know that that building up there was having revival. In fact, he said, um, all of them actually complained. They said, well, Whatever it was, we were always ticked off calling the cops on because they would have all these people parking in our yards, in front of our driveways, because they had revival. So, so the parking lot wasn't big enough, and then they'd stay late night, you know, the buildings, boom, 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 boom. And they said, it just was frustrating, and I'll never forget sitting with them. I thought, wow. So we were all having revival in the building, and the people around us actually, actually didn't get anything from God. That's a broken spot. I thought, Lord, may Hill City never be like that. May the community love us. May the, we have favor with the people because we treat them well and we, and we act right in, in reference to those relationships. And the last thing it says they experienced was daily salvations. People were coming and saying, I need God. I need your God. What you got, I want. Daily. They were just showing up at place. They were, they were, they were, their co-workers were coming to Christ. Their, their neighbors were coming to Christ. Their family members were just, it was something so special with the early church. And as I pondered all these crazy, cool, miraculous things that the early church was like, I had to ask myself, Lord, what did they do that got them that? I know it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But if you back up in verse 42, it actually gives us a little bit of a secret here. It says that they devoted themselves to four things. And I want to teach you the four things today. They devoted themselves. Anybody know what the word devoted means? Completely committed to. In fact, the ideology of this word right here in the original Greek, it's like, it's that, it's that thing that you will not leave your dying spouse's bed as they're in the hospital. I'm devoted to them. Or your dad who's in ICU, and I'm not leaving. You need to go on home, get your, I'm not leaving. This is the ideology of devoted. It says that they devoted themselves. The impact of this word, of what they were doing, is astronomical. And I want to give you the four things that they devoted themselves to, because I don't know about you, but I want to be devoted to these four things. If the early church was devoted to these four things, then I think the latter church should be devoted to these four things. I think you and I should be living our life devoted to these four things. Here's the first thing it says they devoted themselves to. Number one, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to learning the Word of God. 
They devoted themselves to know the Holy Scriptures. The apostles were teaching, were teaching it to them. It wasn't so much about the apostles. That's why I didn't say Peter's teaching or so-and-so's teaching. The, in other words, what the, the apostles were taking those scrolls, getting their hands on them, and they were teaching them, even as the Holy Spirit was enlightening them on what the Word of God said. They were learning the Word of God. They were studying the Word of God. That's why here at Hill City, at the first year, I was like, guys, let's commit to reading the Bible together. Everybody was like, yeah. Now, here we are in May. And some of us are still committed to it, and some of us just kind of lost our way. And so I want to encourage you again to dive in with us and pick back up. We actually did a Bible reading plan together, and, uh, and, and, and um, you can go find it. Uh, I think, do we have the QR code for that? Yeah, is it, is it up? There you go. So you can pull out your phone right now. You can scan that. And you can be on the same Bible reading plan that we're on. It's just the New Testament with some of the book of Psalms. It's been magnificent. It's been magnificent for the leaders and the staff and the members. I, all the time, people are like, Pastor, you're not going to believe I was reading in Corinthians this week. I'm like, you read the Bible with us. Go ahead. Changing their life. They were devoted to it. It wasn't something that they might do. Now, let me just say this. Trying to read the Word of God without the baptism in the Holy Spirit is like dead religion. It's like another thing I have to do. It's like me wanting to go work out. I know I need to. I know it would help me. Whereas there are those people, you know the workout people? Like, you gotta work out. How come you don't work out? You need to work out. I'm like, you're so weird. You gonna eat that? Yes, I'm about to eat that. It's deep fried, I know. And it's so good. But it's so bad for you, I know, but it tastes so good. You're gonna die early. Emma? Emma, no. Am I gonna die earlier? Because I have found some reports about people who live longer who eat deep fried food. I just wanna say. Because I can find anything out there on the web because it never lies. <laughs> Emma, really? Without that passion to work out, without the power of the Holy Spirit enlightening the words as you read it, you are literally, literally just trying to do a duty. Just trying to read the Bible. Trying to read the Bible. But man, when I read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit begins to enlighten it to me. And it starts like, oh, that's so awesome. I don't even know what those words mean, but I need them. Yeah. And start changing me into his image. They were committed to that. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They did not quit on it. They were memorizing the word of God. They were quoting it. They were saying, listen, this, is what, this word of God is going to guide me. David, King David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So I know. I know which way is right. I know my path is enlightened by the word of God. It's a light into my path. It lightens up. The word, they were devoted to it. If you do nothing else in your Christian walk, but read the Bible every day, I promise you, you will be a stud of a believer. I'm telling you. I had the privilege of serving with a little sweet lady named Frida Lindsay. Mom Lindsay is what she was affectionately called at Christ for the Nation. She was the co-founder of that great Bible school, 92 Bible schools around the world, 40,000-something graduates. And she had, now she had this German thing in her. She was Canadian. But you had a little bit of background in Germany. Germans, you know, that's why they almost took over the whole world, just by force of will. But she always would tell all the students, read the Bible three chapters a day and five chapters on Sunday. You'll read through the whole Bible in a year. She did that, read through the Bible once a year for 72 years straight. When she said the Bible says this, she was right. She had a holistic view of God and the Word of God. I'll never forget when a tornado was coming towards that property there in Oak Cliff. She stood out there as a little, you know, 90-year-old, 80-whatever age she was at at that time. And she said, stop it. You'll not harm our property. And that thing broke in two and went around 
Christ for the nations. Because of the authority that she walked in because she knew the word of God. I want that for every one of you. You, you, you shouldn't have to go listen to Stephen Furtick to figure out what God's saying. You shouldn't have to listen to Michael Todd to figure out what God is saying. God wants to speak to you directly through his holy scriptures. And when we get here on Sundays, it should just be a celebration. And I should only be encouraging you with what God's already doing in your life through the word. That's what it should be. It, should, it shouldn't be like, oh, I got the church. Give me the word. Because I got nothing. I'm dying. I'm starving out here. That, that's, that's not the position you should be walking in. You should be walking. They devoted themselves to the word of God. And so they could correct one another. Say, oh, that's not what Jesus said. Oh, hold on. Just a second. I love you. No, no, that's not what he said. That's not, that's not, it's definitely not what he meant. That's what the word of God says. Here's the second thing they devoted themselves to. Write this down, and that is fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. fellowship. I am passionate about this word. Because this word in the original Greek is quantania. Everybody say quantania. Some of us have been Christians long enough since the 70s that there was a Christian band called quantania back in the day. And, uh, okay, three of you remember. Anyway, so, but quantania literally means partnership. In fact, a be- it doesn't translate fellowship. Do- when we think fellowship, think about what you think about fellowship. You think about your old church that you went to, had a fellowship hall, and after church, y'all would have snacks or something over there, and you'd gossip about each other. That was fellowship for you. Okay? That's, that's not at all what this is. They had fellowship. They committed. They were devoted to quantania. Best way for me to explain that to you in your modern way of thinking in English words would be the brotherhood, the sisterhood. What is it, Jamie? The Kappas? Is that the gals around here? The, the, ooh, the Deltas? Woo, Jesus. You mess with a, with a black woman who's a Delta, you're going to feel the fire of all the Deltas. I'm going to just tell you that right now. Don't matter. Don't matter. They've been out of college 30 years. They had Delta. And don't mess with the Deltas. You're going to get... I don't know. How, they must be in some universal group text because you mess with one, you get in a parking lot, scuffle with a Delta, and women show up from all around. They said, hold up, I got you, girl, hold up. <laughs> Sisterhood. Sisterhood. That's what they were committed to. They were committed to fellowship. Developing relationship. This is why I'm constantly asking you to connect with a small group. I, 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 I don't want you to get in a small group because you ain't got nothing else to do. I want you to have these kind of relationships. That's why our small groups are different than maybe some other church you went to. And you're like, people always show up here new and they're like, do you have any small groups for people who are single, under 50, who have uh, a wooden leg? Do you have anybody like, like, I want to find a group like me? And I'm like, no. And they're like, why not? I was like, because that would be weird to have a whole group of nothing but wooden leg, under 50 singles. <laughs> like you would all just be walking in circles. I mean, so... so my wife's like, that's got to be cut out of YouTube right there. <laughs> no, but seriously, we don't, I don't want to be in a group of people that have the same problems I have. I need to be with some other people who aren't like me. I don't understand. Listen, that's the scary part. You get in a small group with all white people, you got the, all the same problems. You don't even know there's a Juneteenth coming up. That's why we need each other. We got so, so doing life with each other, fellowship, we got each other's back. You know, you might vote that way, and I would never vote for that person, but I love you. I got you, man. You got to go out of town? I got you. I'm going to cut your grass for you. Would you really? Yeah, I'll do it. I was going to have to pay this guy. No, nah, don't worry about it. Just tithe better, Pastor Adams. Anyway, and so <laughs> they were committed to this, this brotherhood, this small group life. They were 
And, and so here at Hill City, we don't do small groups like we meet on Fridays and we have chips and dips and song and, and, and a lesson. Uh, we say all the time, small group for us is you finding a group of friends in Christ that you guys can do life together. We use the term doing life together. It's the best way I can understand. And everyone's in a different seasons of life, right? So all the people who are retired, they want to have 12 meetings a week. Like, man, we, Pastor, we need to be having prayer meetings. We, I'm like, get your small group to do it. Well, not everybody in my small group wants to do that. All the people who are single, all the single, like, I need a, I need a man. So I need to do small group. Like, we need to be meeting. But all of us with little kids, we like, I don't have time to meet. You can meet me at the soccer field. <laughs> or you can meet me in the few minutes I had to cut the grass. And so we all do life differently. So we don't organize our small groups to look a certain way. We, we say, what do you need? Find a group of people and do life together and, got each, and get each other's back. That's what they had. That's what they were devoted to. And so, so some of you, you started with a group of people in our church, and, and it, it just didn't really work out. Now you're out there like, I don't know what I should do with a small group. There, there's plenty of people in this church. Go find somebody else to brotherhood, sisterhood with. Just reconnect. Keep, keep at, they were devoted to it. That means they didn't stop just because it got difficult. That means they didn't quit whenever they didn't have all the answers and the solutions. They just kept plowing forward in fellowship. Here's the third thing it says they did, and they broke bread in their homes. So they broke bread together. Now, if you do a lot of scholarly research on this, the scholars are confused all across the board as to what this really was. Some try to say that it was communion, but it, communion doesn't really fit because it was a, it was a daily occurrence. So it's not really communion, and, and, and the younger scholars, the more modern scholars try to just wipe it away as that, but the, o the older scholars said that's not what it is at all. And there was something significantly happening about this breaking the bread thing. I personally, my personal position is that they were literally breaking bread. They were, it was relational evangelism. That's what I believe it was. And I'll explain to you why I believe that. Because they had daily salvations. Well, they, no one, nowhere does it say they were standing out on the street corners and they were doing dramas and Jesus dies on the cross and people were coming saved. What they were doing was they had had such an experience with the Lord that they're at work, man. <clears throat> they're at work and they're working. They're like, bro, you're not going to believe what has happened to me. Yeah, what happened to you? Bro, I have found the one. The one? What do you mean the one? And they start sharing their faith. Like, dude, tell you what you do. <clears throat> Get your wife. Y'all come over for dinner tonight. I'm going to tell you what's been happening to me. They're hey, my bro, 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 you're not going to believe. God has rocked our face off. You got time? I want to I take you out to dinner. I want to tell you about it. And they were breaking bread. And as because you all know this, the most significant moments of decision really are happening over meals. CEOs are not making decisions in boardroom meetings. Those decisions were made the night before over drinks at dinner. Just telling you right now. That's a, you, the first thing you did with the woman that you're married to was not to go rollerblading. The first thing you did was took her out to eat. Yep. You, you were, you, eating a meal together has this vulnerability and authenticity of us just being together. Because if you'll eat in front of people, you know you're trying to be real with them. Because you're like, you know, you're going to see me. I, I kind of snort when I suck down a snake. Steak, so <laughs> sorry, snake, steak. <laughs> So there's this vulnerability, and something supernatural happens in that moment. I believe they were literally seeing friends saved, co-workers saved. I promise you, if you'll take someone out to lunch, you'll take someone out to dinner, and start sharing what's exper what experience you've had with God, they'll, they will begin to have, have to face the fact that, like, this is real. And maybe I need that. 
Maybe I want that. And the last thing he says they committed themselves to, look at this, was prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. They committed themselves to it. So here at Hill City, one of the things that was real important to me is that, is that you understand about prayer. See, I don't believe prayer is about a meeting. I believe prayer is an engagement with the God that I love and serve. It's a communication. And so every one of us communicate a little differently. And there's different types of communication, right? Like, for example, there is, there is fun communication where you laugh with people, tell jokes, things like that. That's one style of communication. There's serious communication where you're like, hey, we need to talk. We need to talk. Uh, there's intimacy in communication for those of us that are married. That's why I have three kids. Intimate communication. Well, what I have found over the years is that people confuse prayer and they put them in one category alone. And it's typically intimacy. And that kind of seems to be the one that... And, and for a dude, that whole, you know... Praying for 12 hours. Ah. For me, especially, I'm like, dude, I ain't got time for that. There's stuff happening in the world, and I got to go fix it. I got to be a part of it. So just my personality. So I have learned over the years that prayer is me communicating to God, and I communicate to God all day long. So I don't try to commit myself to one hour of prayer a day. I try to not let one hour go without praying and engaging with God. So I see prayer for me as engaging with God all throughout the day. So you'll see me. I mean, you think I'm weird at a red light. You're like, what's he doing? Oh, Jesus, you got to do that right there. I wake up praying. Literally. My shower time is a lot of prayer time. Me on a, on a lawnmower, I am praying. I'm seeking God. I'm watching movies and praying, having these moments with God. Because I don't see him as over there and I come visit him. I see him in here and I'm engaging with him all throughout the day. I don't leave him over at Hill City's facility on a Sunday and come back and visit him again on the next Sunday. He's with me everywhere I go. I'm engaging with him all throughout the day. They were committed and devoted to engaging with God in intimate prayer, fun prayer. I Listen, all the time I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to just tell you right now, you're going to have to punch that one in the face. Because if you don't get them, I'm going to get them, and I shouldn't be like this. I know you got to work that out of me. Oh, my God, you got to help me. I am constant. Fun, intimate business. There are times when I'm like, hey, geez, we need to, let, let, let's pull away right here. Now, listen, you promised me this, and this ain't happening right now. But what's up? Like, I need you to do something or do something in me or fix me or something. But if we can't, I, this is not what I signed up for. Our relationship, you said that you would take care of my family, and this is not taking, help me see what I'm missing. And I've learned to have daily engagement with God, not some kind of thing that happens once a week or one moment in the day, but all throughout my day. They were devoted. Look what they were devoted to. First and foremost, they were devoted to the Word of God. They knew it. They wanted to study it. They wanted to know what he had to say. They wanted to memorize it because they recognized it, that it was, the, it was the guiding force for them. And the early church was devoted to it. And because they were devoted to it, they had signs and wonders. They had favor with all the people in the community. These nine things that we talked about in, the early, in, the, in that, in that uh, uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47, those, all these amazing miracles, they had that because they were devoted to these four things. Yep. Number one, they were devoted, completely committed to the Word of God. Number two, they were devoted to fellowship, to quantania, to doing life with other believers. This is the trick of the enemy to keep you from having true partnership with other Christians. This is a great trick because if I keep you from engaging with other true believers, then you stay, you stay, you stay weak, you stay, um, 
if you dull, but when you get around other believers and you're doing life with other believers, and some of you know that, some of you miss the days of when you were on a football team in high school or on a basketball team and you had the brotherhood. Some of you miss the days that you were in a sorority where you had the sisterhood. And some of you are trying to kind of find that at work a little bit, but, but at the end of the day, the early church were devoted to building a community of relationships around them in the body of Christ, committed to it, knowing that that's going to hurt my feelings, knowing I'm not going to like what they say, knowing that they may correct me, and I don't like that, I'm going to correct them, and I don't want to do that. This was what they were devoted, completely standing by the bed of a dying spouse that I will not move, I will not give up, I will not walk away, I will see this through. They were devoted to it. And they were devoted, completely committed to reaching out to hurting people, breaking bread with people, loving, sharing their story to people. And he said that. He said, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power to be my witnesses. You will have this power. The Holy Spirit will give you power to literally testify about me, to be able to have unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to share the miraculous God that I am to others so that they may know me and not spend eternity separated from me. And then they were devoted to prayer. It wasn't a side piece. It wasn't a little religious duty. And I'm going to just tell you right now, if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, prayer will be mundane. It will be miserable. It will be a duty. Fellowship will be a duty. Oh, my God, I'm just doing this because the pastor says I'm supposed to, and somehow it's going to magically help me. Listen, the moment you get connected with other people in the church, without the power of the Holy Spirit giving you grace and mercy to do life with each other, if you have that kind of experience, all you're going to do is say, see, it sucks. Some of you had negative experiences from another church, maybe even in our church where you had some relationships, and they kind of blew up, they didn't work right, someone talked bad about you. You didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in that, in that place of relationship, and so you didn't have the ability to quickly forgive and just, oh, I love her. She's just a knothead. But she's my knothead, Come on. my small group, my peoples. I know it. Ah, I can't believe they posted that. You guys have no idea what I went through in 2020 with you. Other pastors like, do you see what that member of your church just posted? Ah, yeah. Uh, but I love them. They're mine. Yeah. Yeah. You going to talk to them about that? Ah, yeah. Yeah, I want to, but man, that's a firestorm. I don't know. I'm just, and I pray in the spirit, and then I come meet with some of you. Hey, I really wish you wouldn't post like that. That's not like Christ. Well, Pastor, I'm like, okay, but that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. It's not like him. It's not who he is. And so as we go forward into this series, we're going to be looking at all of the acts of these early Christians and the reason why we're going to be doing that is because I want to be like the original model yeah. and I believe we need a book of Acts experience in our modern day world I believe we need book of Acts Christians in 2023 and 2024 and going forward in fact, I believe that revival is dependent upon not whether or not we have these shake and bake moments, but whether or not we act like Christians acted in the New Testament because they had power flowing through their veins to be something that they were not naturally going to be. We need the Holy Spirit to give us power to be in relationship with each other. We need the Holy Spirit to give us power to pray throughout the day and engage with our God, to want to wanna learn the Word of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work to even trust one another to be in fellowship with each other. Would you stand with me all across the room? Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. 
We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond, and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock, and until then, we hope you have an amazing week.